2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount
0: using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTMobile.com The New York region is in the midst of a transportation evolution. Some might even call it a transportation
3: revolution. Finally, the most important infrastructure project in the entire nation is being kicked off. Amen.
0: In the coming years, the way we move into and around New York City will likely
4: change dramatically. So too will the cost. Congestion pricing is an idea that makes a lot of sense, and the money that it generates is going to be used to improve mass transit. It's already being counted on for that purpose. That's why we're moving forward. This week
0: on 880 In Depth, two big transportation initiatives took important steps forward in the past two weeks the Gateway Rail Project and congestion pricing. What will they mean for the future of New York City? Welcome to 880 In-Depth, I'm Michael Wallace. There is nothing like a good groundbreaking to bring out a parade of public officials The dirt those shovels tossed at the groundbreaking in the New Jersey Meadowlands this week was to replace an old rail crossing called the Portal Bridge. Never heard of it? Ask any rail commuters in New Jersey about the Portal Bridge and they'll tell you a horror story about it.
4: NJ Transit Rail Service between Penn Station, New York, and Newark Penn Station suspended in both directions. That's because the Amtrak Portal Bridge got stuck in the open position. Midtown Direct Service being...
0: The Portal Bridge has been the bane of existence for New Jersey rail commuters for decades. It has seen better days, but the Portal Bridge is a workhorse. It carries 450 New Jersey Transit and Amtrak passenger trains over the Hackensack River every day. Replacing it is a big deal. Big enough to draw U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg for the occasion. This is the best way I can think of to start a Monday morning.
5: The worst way I can think of to start a Monday morning is late to work. And for so many commuters, it has been difficult to know that that you could count on our 111-year-old infrastructure. It is the very finest state-of-the-art engineering of the Teddy Roosevelt administration, but we need something different and something better. And uh, you know, the people here have been relentless in getting us to this day, appropriately so, because so many people count on this. The residents, not just across New Jersey and New York and the Eastern Seaboard, uh, but really across the country, count on the economic vitality of this region. And I think a lot about the the personal implications of having good transit and good transportation. Matter of fact, we were together in uh, in North Jersey, I think, when when, uh, one of the uh, people we spoke to at an event that uh, I think Tom and and Josh might have been at, uh, and Mikey actually, that that, that sticks in my mind. uh, Someone's saying, I'm not the mother that I would like to be because of the way my commute works. And we have a chance to do something about that by making sure that we secure the best possible,
0: reliable transportation infrastructure. For New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, this is just the
3: beginning. Today we take the next great step of putting shovels in the ground so that this bridge can finally become reality. Finally, the most important infrastructure project in the entire nation is being kicked off. Amen. And while today is all about the Portal North Bridge, this also isn't just about the Portal North Bridge. To be sure, the Portal North Bridge is just starting the, li- is the starting line. It's milepost zero, if you will, for the most important miles of railway, arguably in the entire nation, from here all the way to New York Penn Station. This November, the old Portal Bridge will celebrate its 112th year of service. Both it and the current Hudson River rail tunnels were built during the administration of President Theodore Roosevelt. That's a long run in any job. But as that milestone approaches, so too is the day when the old span will finally be retired and torn down and replaced by the brand new bridge that will take its place. For commuters and our economic future, we know that day cannot come quickly enough. But it is finally coming.
0: As Phil Murphy says, the Portal Bridge Project is just the beginning. The real game changer in the region will be the work soon to begin on the Hudson Rail Tunnels, or the Gateway Project. Like the Portal Bridge, the old Hudson Rail Tunnels, the rail corridor that connects New Jersey and New York, has aged out. The Gateway project will double the capacity of trains running under the Hudson River. Late last month, the governors of New York and New Jersey agreed to split their share of the initial $14 billion price tag to get the project up and running. Gateway is no longer a dream. It's a reality. I want to commend you and Governor
5: Hochul for coming to terms on getting the uh, the gateway overall up and running. Chris we're going to be working together
0: closely and keeping you very busy and uh, we're so enthused about the road ahead. So how significant is this moment for regional rail riders? Our Peter Haskell spoke to NJ Transit
2: President Kevin Corbett. The main thing is we have a a signed contract we have with Skanska Trello Group and you can see all the work that's already starting underway for laying the foundation so we have the money, and we have a contractual obligation if they deliver the work, and we're riding to make sure they deliver the work. So it's it's a project that's well underway, and everything's secured funding-wise, and it's just monitoring to make sure they perform as, as, a, as per contract. In terms of
6: the tunnels, where do they stand, and how long is that going to take to get started?
2: Well, I think this is a great first step, and this is, you know, for anybody who's a regular commuter, you just hear the word portal bridge and you, know, you start to you know, cringe. So this is you know, a few years and it's in a tight time frame. So by 2026, they will see that. The next phase is what Chris Calori's is uh, taking with Gateway Development uh, Commission. And that is where this fall we will start actually getting the work underway for the different grant applications to secure that funding that's needed for the tunnel projects. Meanwhile, they're also doing the preliminary in- engineering underwork so that they have that. So when they get the funding, they can then go to contract.
6: When not you expect that work could
2: possibly start? I think you're uh, realistically looking two years out to commence construction, but in the interim there are two uh, projects that we've applied for grants uh, one on the New York side, the tunnel casing uh, in related uh, yard from Hudson Yard from 11th to 12th. So that project can get underway. And a bookend of that is what we call Tunnel Avenue, is an entrance uh, to the tunnel on the New Jersey side. So those two projects can get going while we put out the bid the the tunnel project.
6: Once this part is finished, once the bridge is finished, what's this going to mean for commuters?
2: Uh, reliability. I mean, uh, as a regular commuter myself, I mean, every time Portal Bridge open, and, and, and it's sort of like, you know, the Lexington Avenue subway, you've seen how many trains are going by here all the time. you get got even a 10, 15 minute delay opening and shutting that bridge. That backs you up to Philadelphia or delays people coming out. So reliability will be key and also pick up time and speed and additional capacity.
6: Call from mom. Answer it.
0: Improving rail service in that Hudson River corridor is only one part of the transportation revolution we expect in the coming years. Freeing up the traffic-choked streets of Manhattan is the other big project that's gaining steam. The fix is something called congestion pricing. It's a plan to charge vehicles that drive into Manhattan's central business district. The idea is to disincentivize drivers from bringing vehicles into these already congested areas. The money raised will go to fund capital projects to improve the city's subway system. I had a chance to speak with MTA CEO Geno Lieber about congestion pricing and the panel of experts that will determine how the program will actually work.
4: We approved a board that's really going to study what the tolls should be, what kinds of vehicles should get a discount an exemption, because we have an obligation to raise a certain amount of money to make sure that we can pay for all these improvements to mass transit that the that the region needs. But congestion pricing is needed because we all know the central business district of manhattan just ain't working we can't get buses and ambulances and fire trucks and accessory vehicles not to mention ups and all those delivery trucks that amazon has created they can't move around and that's going to hurt our economy it's also going to hurt our air quality and our health so congestion pricing is an idea that makes a lot of sense and The money that it generates is going to be used to improve mass transit. It's already being counted on for that purpose. That's why we're moving forward. But while the governors of New York and New Jersey agree
0: on how the funding will work on the Gateway Project, there is still a significant disagreement on congestion
3: pricing. Just listen to New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy this week. We love it conceptually. There is no way, no how, that that will happen with a double taxation of New Jersey commuters, period. And I'm still optimistic that we'll be able to work something out, but we cannot double tax new jersey commuters this that can't happen and at least up until now and i think their environmental study was is supposed to come out sometime later this month Uh, up until now folks who are driving in the lincoln and the holland were being treated differently than those on the george washington bridge and that just can't can't be the case
0: back to my conversation with the mta's jano lieber you mentioned how this new panel is going to consider who should get exemptions. Certainly New Jersey drivers who already pay tolls to cross the bridges and tunnels would like some. What's the possibility of exemptions for them?
4: Well, listen, we've got the one of the members of the board is, is Scott Reckler, who is the chairman of the Regional Plan Association. So he's somebody who has a history of working on New Jersey issues as well as New York City and Connecticut issues. That's for the best. I have not yet understood why folks, who come over the GW Bridge feel entitled to an exemption any more than I should get a discount on the Garden State Parkway the New Jersey Turnpike if I go over the George Washington Bridge in their direction. So I haven't understood the arguments that have been offered up so far, but this panel is going to consider everybody's, every group's arguments for why they should get a discount or an exemption, and they're going to come up with a fair plan, which then will be referred back to the MTA board and could be modified, accepted, or rejected.
0: What does seem clear is some form of congestion pricing will most definitely happen. Our Peter Haskell heard that in his conversation with Mitchell Moss, professor of urban policy and planning at NYU.
7: The financial crisis facing the MTA is going to make congestion pricing a reality because it's the one untapped source of revenue for capital projects, that means large physical projects, which is already built into the MTA financial plan, and therefore it's been approved by the state legislature. It Now just has to be approved by the federal government. And I think it's going to occur. There's no reason to think it was going to occur until we had the gubernatorial election of 2022 resolved. And so whatever the reasoning is, it's gonna occur in the next two years.
6: There's a a transit mobility board that's gonna try to work out the particulars here. How do we make this fair? New Jersey says, we're not paying twice. Long Island says, we're not paying twice. How do we do this?
7: Well, we already have tolls. I find it amazing. Americans, you know, have different kinds of raising funds for transit. And the toll road actually preceded the freeway. Uh, that, the toll road actually was the way in which we started financing our highways in this country when states put the tolls. It's on the New York State Thruway or the Pennsylvania Turnpike or the Jersey Turnpike. Now, I think we have to realize that we also today have free bridges as well as toll bridges, meaning the ones run by the city are free and by the MTA they're told. We're going to now make anything coming into Manhattan pay a fee, which is going to be something called a congestion pricing, but really it's going to be now spread not just on the MTA bridges and tunnels, but on all the other access routes in from 60th Street South. And I have great confidence that we'll find a way to let people who are just using some of the roads to do the circular route around Manhattan avoid this. And of course there is an effort to make sure that people don't have to pay twice. Uh, if you're already coming through the Lincoln Tunnel, certainly you shouldn't have to pay coming into Manhattan as well or certainly not more than the toll. The, the real challenge is the question of how we raise enough money which is in a law saying there has to be a certain amount every year and to get that funding do we allow people who are to be kind of exempt from that toll and there's a very very thoughtful group of experts appointed by a general lever to determine what the policies would be. Everyone believes they should be exempt if they have some special case. Nurses, teachers, firefighters, emergency workers and I think we're going to find out that exempting anyone is going to be a challenge, which really means anyone on this panel is going to be ready and deserving of the Nobel Prize if they can solve it. But there will be very few exemptions, I believe, because once you make one, every the line gets infinite. So the state has already said that this is going to generate $15 billion over the period of time in borrowing money. So getting the toll placed will be crucial. We do know that the MTA is going to have bigger financial problems than just congestion pricing's problem, revenue, and that is because revenue has fallen as ridership has declined. In fact, today, you know, the ridership is quite varied. Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, it's pretty high. Monday and Friday, it falls down as people have become, got a new habit of working remotely, those who can. Uh, the weekends are quite busy. We have to take a look at transit and recognize. It's as important as public safety, as important as schools. We should not finance it just on the back of the riders. Everyone benefits from transit because we depend on the people who are riding it to deliver our food, to operate the stores, to provide emergency services. The essential workers who use transit more than anyone, as we discovered during the pandemic's height, cannot, we cannot exist without them. And we can, they cannot exist without mass transit. So mass transit's going to have to have a new revenue stream that is not going to be coming just from riders and drivers and people use the system, but everyone who benefits
6: from it. So hold that thought. I want to get back to the congestion pricing. If you deduct the Lincoln Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, the Battery Tunnel, the Midtown Tunnel, are you raising the money you thought you were going to raise? it? think
7: we, we are going to find out but right now, traffic coming in on the Williamsburg Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, that's at peak. We have other people coming in, as you may know, on the Willis Avenue Bridge or the Third Avenue Bridge. So, yes, the drivers coming into the city are going to be charged for this coming into Sixty Street South. And I think they believe there's sufficient revenue from those individuals to generate money, which, of course, the bill passed by the legislature projects. What that total amount, what the exact amount will be, we don't know yet, but it's always been assumed that by generating revenue from the bridges which aren't told, then we will have enough revenue to meet the goals of the state law.
6: Governor Murphy has basically said this is not going to happen if you charge us twice, and even if there were deductions, I suspect there are going to be lawsuits, so... What's the future? How long does this get dragged out?
7: I I think the governor of New Jersey and the governor of New York will find a way to forge a deal. I think we have to realize whatever they're saying now, there'll be a a recognition that they have to find a solution. And I think that New York and New Jersey competed over who would own Staten Island. New York and New Jersey used to compete about back offices. But New York and New Jersey have much in common. And the real point of of commonality is that we depend on New Jersey for the beefsteak tomatoes and the strawberries. Uh, And we depend on them for a lot of workers. And I think that New York and New Jersey have much more to gain by working together than to be fighting. I think this is not like the era when we said people moving to New Jersey are really uh, opposing New York. In fact, we depend on the workforce coming from Connecticut and New Jersey increasingly from Pennsylvania. And I think they recognize us and will make the mass transit system work. Because when you come in from New Jersey, you eventually, you know, get on a train or get on a commuter get on some bus or something and so this is not as if you come in and you suddenly not using mass transit everyone uses mass transit
0: you know the old line if you build it they will come all of these studies on the impact of congestion pricing and the money it will raise were all done prior to covid so what happens if they don't come where will the money come to build it
7: the problem of congestion pricing faces is that it's been based on a five day a week work week and now we have a three day a week at a much higher level than five day a week but we don't know how long this trend will continue but i think that's one of the challenges face the mobility panel how do we do this and that's why congestion pricing is not enough we have to find a way to cover the decline in ridership and assume it's going to build back over time the mta is ordering more subway cars general lever is trying to modernize the system with new signals, and I think over time, as people get accustomed to riding better trains, if they have better safer experience, I think we're gonna find ridership is gonna return because, you know, with $5.35 a gallon gasoline, New York is a great bargain for commuting. You know, this is, you know, I know people are paying $300 a week to fill their tank driving in from the suburbs, so New York actually, because of mass transit, turns out to have lower costs of commuting than people living just on their cars.
6: And and so, when you have to deal with this kind of thing, you're worried about the pricing that the the MTA is relying on this, but it's 60% ridership, you say it shouldn't be borne by the riders, does the state have the money to help balance this budget?
7: This is a very, very strong city and a strong state. We have to use our funds correctly. And there are very few services where people benefit from that don't directly use, and one of them is mass transit. You go get your MRI, the person running the machine is taking the subway somewhere. I know people who work in healthcare or committee from Eastern Pennsylvania. They come in by bus and then they take a subway. I think that the benefits of mass transit is that everyone reaps the benefit of having the workers in the places where they are needed. And so I think yes, we have to rethink mass transit. It is not just the riders who benefit, it is everyone who benefits from the people who do use it. That means every delivery service, every health care, every hospital, every education center where there are workers who come in by mass transit is benefiting many of the users who don't. And I think over time, we have to recognize that shared obligation to keep it. We don't all, very few people actually have to -to face-to-face contact with a police officer, but we all benefit from the police. The MTA is actually just as important.
6: The MTA is talking about a deficit of $2.5 billion in a couple of years. The state can't afford that, can it?
7: Well, I think this is a question. What can it afford? Well, I think we may, you know, we're paying for the Buffalo Bills to get a stadium which no one believes they will ever win a Super Bowl. This is a team that lost four direct Super Bowls when they thought they had a great team. It's a failed franchise. It's a culture of defeat. And the governor is giving them a brand new stadium and getting nothing from it, not even the right to name it. And we're putting a lot of funds into things that have no yield at all except some psychic and emotional kind of payout. So if we put our priorities in the right place, you know, we'll do this. I'm not sure we realize that you know, the, some of the things we invest in may not be as important as the basics, like mass transit and public safety.
0: Could bicycles be an answer to reducing congestion on busy Manhattan streets? Mitchell Moss believes it could help.
7: Well, I think bicycles have turned out to be uh, the mode of choice for lots of young people as well as for delivery people. It's great. We have half the people who are getting food delivered are getting it on scooters, electric bikes, etc. And pe- many, many people are now commuting by bike, not just in Manhattan, but from the Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens. We have people biking over the 59th Street Bridge, although it's called the Ed Koch Bridge. I think 59th Street is the name it should always be known for because that's what it was called. But I think that the key part to recognize is that Bikes and scooters are a growth sector for the young and the physically agile and physically fit, even though now you can bike with electric motors so you don't have to be in great shape. But underlying everything else is that you can't carry a sofa or a TV on a bike. And that's why we're always going to have other forms of mobilities, whether it's vans or trucks. You know, as long as people decide they want a television in a house, they have to get it there, it ain't going to be on a bicycle.
6: But you could argue that for every person on a scooter... It's one fewer person on this subway in the uh,
7: I, I You know, something we we could argue many things. I think that sometimes I don't think the scooter population is yet that large. The scooters are really bigger, and but they're very visible because, of course, they don't obey any law. They go the law of whatever the you know they they go on diagonals. They're challenging the whole grid, of New York. But I think the bike industry has shown in New York that it can work with protected bike lanes. So the, the
6: Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine is talking about taking one lane of the West Side of Highway, making
7: it a bike lane. Well, what do you the, think? The Manhattan Borough President, of course, doesn't know what he doesn't know. That is not a road that the city controls. It's a road the state controls. Is you know, I, I'm shocked that he. Well, does. he had
6: said that he acknowledges
7: that. You know. I, that. I think, you know he got some very good press. We should congratulate him uh, for a good idea that's completely impossible to do without the state legislature's approval or the state government's governor's. Do- now, remember, we have to remember, it's one thing to put a bike lane on a narrow street, but that is the only major arterial. Remember, we don't have anything like that on the east side. And the uh, uh, point there is that a lot of vehicles are moving there that are keeping them off the streets. And The I, I great risk is all he's going to do is move some of those vehicles to some of the interior parts of Manhattan where they shouldn't be. I'd rather have the bike lanes on the core streets. There is a beautiful bike lane in the Hudson River Park. We may have to expand it. We might have to get rid of some of the shrubbery. But the idea that we should close that lane, it's a wonderful idea and concept, but in practice, you know, we should have the Manhattan Borough President focus on things like monkeypox, things that are really desperately needing public action. And I think, you know, not every major arterial should be a bike lane, especially when you see how many bike lanes are underused. Uh, there are key streets he should be focusing on, and I, but that's a state road, and of course, he has zero influence of state. The borough presidents, at best, are cheerleaders. They're wonderful people to have as symbolic leaders, but you know something—he's really now speaking on an area which is outside his area of authority.
6: Here's a question that comes up all the time: Who does the streets belong to? The so, streets in New York are but but, it, but it's drivers. It's cyclists, it's, it's now restaurants, it's parking. The sidewalk sheds for restaurants. Did they hurt the city? Take up parking?
7: The sidewalk, the, the opening of our streets and sidewalks to dining has been the best thing that came out of the pandemic because it allowed people who need and want human contact to have it in a safe setting outdoors. We have to recognize that some of the rules we had before were too strict. Maybe some of the ones we have now were too soft. But underlying this is that it didn't just save jobs it saved people people want to be with people they couldn't do it in public events they couldn't do it inside and so the outdoor dining has transformed the streets and sidewalks and there are communities who are concerned about public health and they should be that means we should put the board of health to work and make sure that they're abiding by the rules of the health department we should probably enforce some of the problems that they face and not maintaining them safely but overall we have seen a surge in people enjoying the city streets, and sidewalks, and that is now a battle zone. It's a battle zone because everybody recognizes you want to have parking, you want to have walking, you want to have dogs, you want to have dining, and you want to have deliveries. So yes, the streets are now a, a source of intense debate and conflict. But outdoor dining has found to be, been found to be a very important part of our social life of our chance to be with people and it's not going to vanish.
6: The car crowd says we need parking. What do you think?
7: You know something Everybody needs something, but parking should be something the city uses to generate revenue. The streets are there to be used for people to go places. And obviously you need to have parking in some of the outer boroughs where there's no mass transit. You need to have parking especially in areas where in fact there are handicapped people coming and going and they can't go up and down subway stairs. Parking is, you know, the automobile is not going away. In fact, some people think electric vehicles are going to lead to more of it. But the, but we should not use our streets as a free parking lot. The great idea, we have too many free parking spaces. If you want to park, you pay to use it. This is ridiculous, the idea that we should have free parking, especially in New York where there's so much demand for this space. So... Bottom line, how does
6: this shake out congestion pricing? How long is this going to take? What do you think? I,
7: first of all, never underestimate things take longer than they think. I think it's probably not going to occur, you know, until somewhere probably we plan for it and we get approval. Sometime maybe in 2024, they'll see it. But remember, they have to get approved from the federal government, and then they have to build the system. And that's going to take a lot of skill, and General Leber has turned out to be quite quite brilliant at running the MTA, but getting this in place is going to take even more skill because he's got to negotiate the fare, he's got to negotiate the building sites and where they're doing it, and then he's got to make sure that when they do it, you know, we keep the traffic, enough traffic to pay for those tolls.
6: Last thing, all these things we're talking about, do these in any way hinder the city's comeback?
7: Well, I, you know, That's the question. Will people stop coming into Manhattan? Will they go to fewer restaurants? Will they go to fewer psychiatrists? Will they come to. Well, will you pay the toll? if you can avoid the toll. And I think that we have to bet on the fact that there are things you can do in Manhattan you can't do anywhere else. If you wanna get your knee replaced, you're gonna go to the great hospitals in Manhattan. If you're gonna come in here, you're gonna get open heart surgery. You're not gonna go to some place, you know, in the suburbs where a guy does one open heart every year. You go to a place where there are seasoned professionals doing this. So I believe that what keeps people coming to New York is the magic and the opportunities to do things here. And remember, People don't come in just by car, they come in by other ways. And the $15 fee for the tolls is actually turning out to be the equivalent of three gallons of gas. So as gas goes up, the toll looks like less and less of a burden.
0: NYU Professor of Urban Planning, Mitchell Moss. That's In Depth this week. Our executive producers are Peter Haskell and Tim Sheld. I'm Michael Wallace. Thank you for listening.